Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday to you. My name is Tim Harris. It's 10 o'clock. It's Friday. It's the end of another week. Uh, the end of another good week in the Word. It is loud around the church today. We are getting ready for Bible school, which starts Sunday night. And so, man, the house is full of people, uh, workers getting ready, decorating, studying. Kids are here. I love it. Uh, most days, uh, the church is a pretty quiet place. People coming in and out, you know, but uh, but I, I love activity. I love when the house of God is filled with the people of God. Uh, and that's how it is today. Uh, I love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for being in the Word with me. We started the book of Isaiah, and now today we're doing chapters 4 and 5 together. Chapter 4 is pretty short. That's why I stuck it in there with chapter 5. But uh, uh, anyway, I, I, I love this. Let's jump right in. Chapter 4 is short. Uh, if you care about this sort of thing, verse 1 probably doesn't belong with the rest of what we find in chapter 4. Remember, the prophet Isaiah did not write chapters. He didn't write, you know, four chapter 4, verse 1. He didn't do any of that. <clears throat> this is what people along the way later did to make it easier to study God's Word, divided into chapters and verses. But Isaiah didn't, and so uh, from what we gather, it just doesn't look like verse 1 belongs in chapter 4. It probably finishes out that poetic verse that begins in uh, chapter 3, verse 24. Because it, it remember, it, we were talking at the end of chapter 3, the men of the city will be killed with the sword, uh, the warriors will die in battle. Verse 1 of chapter 4, so that purpose, never going to cancel that purpose. And so you have this beautiful picture uh, of the fruit of the land, you know, being pride and glory. But then notice verse 3, because this is actually important. All who remain in Zion will be a holy people. Um, it's what we call remnant theology. And again, you don't, have to, you, don't have to, you don't have to be really interested in this, but some of you might be. Um, it's very important biblically, remnant theology, especially in the Old Testament. The idea is that God sometimes does, you know, see those chosen people turn away from him. And the fact that God chose them in the first place doesn't mean they don't have the freedom and the free will to turn away from him and, and, and they will be lost in the end. And, and, and that's the point. God continues to move forward with the faithful remnant. You know, so example, in the book of Romans, when Paul says, all of Israel will be saved. Well, Paul means that from a perspective of remnant theology. You, you always have to bear in mind that, that, that there's this very important principle of the remnant, those who are left, those who are faithful, and God will continue to move forward with those who are faithful to move forward with him. Those who abandon him are lost. I mean, you understand that? And so all who remain, this picture of restoration involves those who remain, those who are the remnant after the judgment comes and wipes out the wicked. He will provide, I love this verse five, provide a canopy of cloud during the day, smoke and flaming fire at night. It's like the Exodus, you know, where there was cloud by day and fire by night. Be a shelter from daytime heat and a hiding place from storms and rain. I love that. Now, chapter five. <clears throat> chapter five begins with one of the few, uh, it's not the only one, but there aren't a lot of parables in the Old Testament, but this is an important one and, and, and actually uh, one of the most famous. It's the parable of the vineyard, the song of the vineyard. It is uh, an, an oracle of judgment, but it is presented to us. It comes to us in the form of like a love song. And God himself is the, you know, the, the, the lover, the, the, the singer, you know, the, the, the speaker. 
And so it says, I will sing a song for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. You know, and, and then it goes on. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. Again, it's a love song. Uh, it is a parable of judgment, and, and it's very important. Notice in verse 2, all of the verbs here. He plowed the land. He cleared its stones. He planted it with the best vines. In the middle, he built a watchtower, carved a wine press. Then he waited. Then he expected. I, I love those verbs uh, because they are meant to sort of describe complete care, total devotion, attention, and affection. Do you see that? He did everything for the vineyard that he could possibly do. But then understand, there was an expectation, an expectation that for all of his loving kindness, the vineyard would then produce sweet grapes. But that's not what happened. He expected, he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes, but the grapes that grew were bitter. You know, so instead of a harvest of sweet and wonderful grapes, uh, wild grapes, bitter fruit grows. Now, you people of Jerusalem and Judea, you judge between me and my vineyard. These verses three and four sort of interrupt here with this, this call for judgment. What more could I have done for my vineyard? What, what more could I have done than I've already done when I expected sweet grapes? Why did my vineyard give me wild grapes, bitter grapes? And now, notice what happens next in verse 5. There's this undoing. In the way that verse 2 has all of those verbs, plowed, planted, you know. Now notice the verbs stacking up in, in verse 5. Let me tell you what I'll do with my vineyard. I'll tear down its hedges. I'll let it be destroyed. Break down its walls. Let the animals trample it. I'll make it a wild place. You see that? The verbs in, in verse 5 undo uh, all that was done out of, out of, out of love in, in verse 2. I'll make it a wild place where the vines are not pruned and the ground is not hoed. I will command the clouds to drop no rain on it. And then verse 7 is kind of the verdict. It's the, the explanation, the, the decoding, if you will, of the parable. The nation of Israel is the vineyard of the Lord of heaven's armies. The people of Judah are his pleasant garden. He expected, and here's the covenantal expectations here, he cared for and did everything necessary that the you know the the vineyard would produce fruit and what was the fruit what was he looking for justice and righteousness instead of justice he found oppression instead of righteousness cries of violence you know what does god expect justice and righteousness and we'll see this throughout this chapter and, and throughout the book of isaiah <clears throat> now what follows is interesting again we're, we're switching um biblical genres here. You know, we've gone from, you know, this, this song of restoration in chapter four to this parable at the beginning of chapter five. And now what we're going to find here in verses 08 to about 23 in chapter five, uh, what you can identify as sick, but notice, but they never think about the Lord. It's this idea that they're so self-indulgent, so arrogant, that they celebrate life is a party, and yet they have no idea what's worth celebrating, no idea about the things of God. They never notice what God is doing. What an interesting phrase. Woe to those, woe to those who drag their sins behind them. Woe to those who call evil good and call good evil. Again, I remind you, that sounds like our nation. That sounds like our culture. Everything is upside down. You know, what has always been recognized as virtuous is now considered, you know, oppressive. And what was always considered perversion is now celebrated as something to take pride in. Everything just got turned upside 
upside down, but I promise you, God has not turned himself around. He's not changed you know, the boundaries of human life, the boundaries of biblical morality and what God expects has not changed just because we have changed, because culture changes. What sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes, who think they are so clever. You know, woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine again, boast about all the alcohol they can hold, take bribes to let the wicked go free, they punish the innocent. Again, six woes stacked up right there. At the very end, Verses uh, 26 to 30, there's this, again, prophecy, this prediction that all of this will lead to devastation. But notice that it's a political and military threat that ultimately will bring God's judgment. Uh, again, in our world, we, we don't often associate, you know, politics and and you know, military war, that that sort of thing is as accomplishing God's will because it's typically evil people doing evil things. Um, but God can use, you know, the, the, the works of evil people to accomplish his purposes. And, and again, we know from the 8th century context of Isaiah that we're talking about Assyria here and ultimately Babylon that will destroy the, the land of Judah and destroy Jerusalem. Uh, so that's the end of chapter 5. Monday morning, we get to really change things up because we start with chapter 6. Isaiah is really going to switch now, and for several chapters, I think it's like chapter 6, 7, and 8 at least, about three chapters, Isaiah is going to switch to prose, no longer these, these, this poetic prophecy, and more just prose, and you're going to love it. Chapter 6 is probably one of your most uh, familiar passages in Isaiah because it's, it's, the, it's the cleansing and calling of Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. That's chapter 6, and we'll do that. We're just going to do verses 1 to 13 on Monday, okay? Just going to focus on the calling of the prophet Isaiah. So Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. I've tried to talk so fast today. I apologize. Uh, maybe we're trying to do too much in a day, in 10 minutes. But anyway, uh, we, uh, we love the Word of God together, and I get excited uh, even when uh, the words of judgment are just so shattering. You know, uh, ooh, it's, it's serious stuff. And yet God's, uh, the, the hope of restoration is always there, and I love that, that, that even with the proclamation of judgment, there's always, always uh, the hope that we find in the faith in a God who loves us. Um, I love you guys so much. Have a great weekend. If I don't see you in church here at Woodburn on Sunday morning, 8, 9, 30, or 11, I'll see you Monday morning, Lord willing, 10 o'clock for Tim with Tim. I love you guys. Have a great Friday.